Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, more than 25 years after her tragic death, Tejano singer Selena Quintanilla Perez's music and story continue to draw legions of fans and inspire generations. Just this month, Netflix launched the first season of Selena, the series. In this hour, we look at what's behind Selena's staying power and why her level of fame, influence, and commercial success is still rare among American-born Latinas in music and entertainment. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Netflix has a new series about the rise of Tejano singer Selena Quintanilla Perez, and a new multi-part podcast examining her legacy drops its first episodes next month. Selena's lasting impact, 25 years after she was murdered, has been driven by generations of fans who love her for her music, performances, fashion, and the way she embraced her Mexican-American identity. Now is Maria Garcia, creator and host of the forthcoming Anything for Selena podcast, premiering January 13th, senior editor of Arts and Culture at WBUR in Boston. Welcome to Forum, Maria Garcia. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you here and, and played that song because I heard it's one of your favorites. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. It's one of my favorites because I think it illustrates um, Selena's range, how much she was influenced by R&B and Black American music while also infusing, you know, like her Mexican heritage and like her silky yeah. vocals into it. It just, it's like, to me, it's like I hear that song and my heart just swells for for the queen. Well, Selena came at a very important time in your young life. I and mean, can you tell us what you were going through when you first saw her? 
Yeah. So I grew up on the U.S.-Mexico border in El Paso and Ciudad Juarez. Uh, I was born in Ciudad Juarez. And when I was three, my parents moved to the state in El Paso. And so my early life was spent in the States during the week and in Mexico um, on the weekends. And so I grew up very acutely aware of my duality. Um, and even though in the States, my school was predominantly Latino, I mean, it's, we're talking about the early 90s, the age of assimilation, when assimilation was very much rewarded and mm. prized. And, and, and frankly, like, you know, it, it was punitive if if you if you didn't assimilate and so i grew up very aware of that and i even as a very young child like i always felt that if i was in the states or if i was in mexico the other half of me was missing mm. and so it was it it felt incredibly profound to discover this woman who celebrated these parts of myself that I was still trying to make sense of. And I was trying to figure out essentially if I was whole, but wow. Selena came and she was whole. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm Mexican American, these two things um, I embody and that makes me a whole person. And it transformed my life. One of the things that I was really struck by is is how you marveled um, when I heard a, a bit of an early cut of your of your podcast, how you marveled not just at how much she's beloved by Americans, but also people in Mexico. Why was that meaningful to you? Yeah, you know, people talk a lot about Selena's crossover to the United States and the narrative around her in the last quarter century has been, oh, she was on the cusp of crossover stardom. But what gets left out of that is the fact that she had already crossed over to Mexico for a Mexican-American, um, a, a, a brown Mexican-American um, who did not speak Spanish, who was, quote, a pocha, a word that I was... Um, that I was called a lot in Mexico because like many first generation kids, I, I became more articulate in English. And so my, my Spanish um, in Mexico was derided a lot. And so to see sort of the queen of the pochas, right, uh, be beloved in Mexico, that was the most profound thing to me. Like the fact that one of us, a, a Mexican-American who always felt like, you know, when we went back to Mexico, we were trying to figure out how we belonged there. Yeah. The fact that she crossed over and she was like, I belong here. I'm Mexican. This is my heritage. That was so profound. I can totally relate to to having your language skills being derided if you go to a country like when I go to Korea and people are like, oh, my God, what is wrong with your Korean? <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing is, like, when you're a kid, those those things like those experiences really scar you and they shape your 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 relationship with yeah. language right and completely and so, yeah so i think she she just she and you know my story is not unique i there are so many people like me women like me who were young girls and who have now had a coming of age who have grown up with selena's legacy who have grown up with her as this symbol uh, that reminds them that, like, their existence is valid and they are whole, you know? Yeah, she was really foundational to your life and your identity. And so what were you hoping to learn through the process of producing 
your podcast. What what was the drive there? It ended up being like a nine part podcast, right? Yeah, it's a nine part uh, series. Um, so I, I hope that this series brings, um, you know, really. Oh, Maria Garcia, have we lost you there? Oh, sorry. It just uh, the the mic went out for just a second. Go right ahead. Maria, I think we actually may still be trying to reestablish that connection. Well, in the meantime, uh, let me remind listeners that we're talking with Maria Garcia, creator and host of the forthcoming podcast, Anything for Selena, which premieres January 13th. And she's also senior editor of arts and culture at WBUR in Boston. We're talking about the legacy of Tejano singer Selena. Hi. And uh, hi there, Maria Garcia. Glad hi. to have you back. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. So you were you were talking about what you hope uh, or what you what would the drive was for your podcast, what you were hoping to learn and then what you hope it also does. Yeah. So I hope that the podcast brings, you know, really rigorous journalism that truly like examines Selena's impact on society. Like we all know that she changed culture, but nobody's unpacked that. And so I hope that with rigorous journalism, we do that. And also just like there's cultural analysis, you know, but above all, this is a personal story. This is like my personal quest. It's a lifelong quest. I mean, it is not an exaggeration to say that I have been thinking about Selena <laughs> virtually wow. my entire life. So you know, this journey was also deeply personal for me. Um, and it made me go back and think about some of my oldest wounds and my resilience as an immigrant, as a queer woman. Um, and it, you know, I, it's, it's a very personal, heartfelt journey that I hope finally does justice to the legacy of <laughs> Selena. When do you find yourself turning to her music nowadays? Oh, my goodness. Well, for the last year, I've been like turning to her music every day. <laughs> for the podcast, but, yes. Yeah, but she's been this constant in my life. I mean, when I was a child, um, I turned to her music for the simple joy and like the, the fact that there was something that came from my culture that brought me joy where I felt like I could be fully myself, you know, and it was fun I could dance to it like it was something I could do with my mom and my friends like it, it brought so many people together and then you know when I was a reporter in my 20s along the U.S. Mexico border and I you know did a lot of heavy stories like I turned to her at the end of the day to to like reset myself when I went to like a fancy grad school in the east coast and I was sort of I needed something to ground myself. Like I wore her t-shirt. She's been this cornerstone in my life and I'm not alone. She's been mm -hmm. a cornerstone for a lot of women, this sort of constant that they come back to, to remember who they are, to ground themselves. You say you're not alone. And there has been talk about how, I mean, essentially Selena's almost been deified. What do you think about that as a description? Well, look, I think that Selena has reached this 
level in our society, her symbolism, her likeness, her physical self, um, it's been laden with meaning from the beginning. Like she was a symbol even when she was alive. Like when she ascended in music, um, like I said, it was the age of assimilation. Um, and the narrative at that time around Latinos, if you look at sort of the media made about Latinos, it was all about immigration or poverty or gang violence or teen motherhood. Um, and the country was sort of in the thick of a huge demographic shift uh, with Latinos, the, pop the Latino population rising by 60% in that decade. And it was like right in the middle, 1995. Um, and so there were all these anxieties about Latinos. And here was this woman who broke all the narratives and she did it without compromising who she was, without assimilating, um, without like being ashamed of her Spanglish, like while sort of embracing her working class, you know, Tejana aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that that has that has stayed with people. And now there's a whole visual culture, you know, now um, when you see somebody with a Selena pin or with a Selena t-shirt, that is a shorthand for a whole sort of American experience, uh, for an ethos, you know, a sort of multicultural ethos. And so she's become this symbol. And there's this tension between how much bigger she is with than herself and like the very real um, preservation that her family wants to hold on to of who she was as a woman. And, you know, they, they don't see her as a deity. They, they take offense with people saying that. So it's complicated. We're talking with Maria Garcia about the legacy of Tejano singer Selena Quintanilla Perez. She's creator and host of the forthcoming Anything for Selena podcast and senior editor of Arts and Culture at WBUR in Boston. Stay with us. We'll have more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com.
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the legacy of Tejano singer Selena. Maria Garcia is with us, creator and host of the forthcoming Anything for Selena podcast and senior editor of Arts and Culture at WBUR Boston. And you, our listeners, I want to ask, what does Selena mean to you? What is your favorite Selena song and why? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, that's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Also with us is Dr. Deborah Vargas, Associate Professor of Chicana Latina Feminism and U.S.-Mexico Borderlands Culture at Rutgers University, also author of Dissonant Divas in Chicano Music, in Chicana Music, The Limits of La Onda. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Vargas. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Also with us is Susie Esposito, music reporter for the Los Angeles Times. Thanks so much for being here as well, Susie Esposito. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, uh, Deborah Vargas, we just listened to Como La Flor. I don't know if you want to say anything about that particular song. Um, you know, it's, I think it's it's a one of, I think among her probably best known, most recognizable songs. You know, it, it, I think it, it really kind of is, is part of a, a, a kind of a song, you know, a songbook of Selena that mostly I think resonates with people post her passing, you know, mm. um, Amor Prohibido. I mean, these are among her biggest hits, but they're also have been the way in which people have been introduced to Selena who didn't know Selena um, in her life. And I mean, a lot of people didn't know Selena in her life in the sense that mm -hmm. she became well known in the US, but a lot of people didn't realize that she had had a long career in the Tejano music scene. Can you talk about what that music scene was like and why she still was so unique in that? Yeah, it's a really, you know, if we had uh, so much more time, but I mean, it's a, it's a really complicated and rich, you know, history. Um, Selena, really, I mean, the way I arrived to Selena as, as a researcher, you know, as a fan, of course, growing up in, in San Antonio and hearing her music and, you know, listening to my mom talk about her, having watched her on the Johnny Canales show, all of that, right? So all of that's part of the personal um, engagement with Selena. But as a researcher, you know, I think what, what really mattered to me was really realizing that she was part of a long line a long legacy of Chicana and Tejana singers um, who I write about in my book. But um, so I think placing her in that context, um, you know, and she really arrives as, as many folks who've written about her um, have already sort of laid out, right? She arrives to the scene of, of Tex-Mex music when it's really kind of breaking open in terms of a broader kind of listenership um, more lucrative recording contracts for artists and all of that. But she, you know, she, her sound really emerges from that kind of history of, of Texas Mexican or what we often call um, Tejano or Tex-Mex music. What were her other musical influences? I mean, clearly, of course. Yeah, sorry, go right ahead. Yeah, no, no, I mean, I think, you know, Maria uh, alluded to this earlier, you know, which is that, you know, her placing her and her experiences in Lake Jackson and the broader Houston area is really important um, as, as, as folks have, have historicized and I think have begun to appreciate more. Um, and that is to say that, you know, Houston is 
a very unique place um, musically, culturally, um, particularly with a lot of the interactions and cross-cultural musical and cultural influences between African-Americans and Mexican-Americans. Um, and so Selena emerges through that, you know, a lot of her earliest, uh, you know, artists that she would listen to were, you know, like Gloria Gaynor, Donna Summer, Janet Jackson, you know, she was very much into that um, late 80s, you know, 90s sort of R&B kind of movement, you know, movement, musical kind of movement. And so that's a really important part of her music, along with, you know, the way in which her sound kind of fuses that with a lot of the sort of Texas Mexican sound, um, polkas and cumbias that kind of emerge in that region um, as well. So it's a very unique combination, I think, of what ends up being a kind of very, um, you know, very different sound uh, that Selena, and by that I mean Selena, I mean her whole project, you know, her, her band, her, yeah. her brother, that whole project that we now refer to as Selena, right, that really has a lot of parts to it, but that really become what we now recognize as, as Selena's sound. Right. So that, that history and that experience is really important, particularly um, around um, African-American music. Yeah, the whole range of her sound, as you say, I understand that one of the songs that you really like by her is actually a polka inspired Tejano song called Ven Conmigo. And I want to play a little bit of that. But before we do, I was wondering why this song in particular is one that really, really stands out to you. Okay. Uh, oh, and we, before you play it? Yeah, but we can we can play oh, okay. it first if you prefer. Um, sure, let's play it. Let's play it. That's Ven Conmigo. Yeah. Deborah Vargas, yeah. What does that bring up for you? <laughs> yeah, I, this is one of my favorite songs. You know, I really like what I think, hopefully, you know, the, the you know, Maria's podcast and the Netflix series and a lot of the attention to Selena. Really, I hope that people kind of go back to her earlier archive. And this is one of her earliest hits, you know, that that really, you know, says a lot about, you know, how rich Selena's music was and, it's sort of near and dear to me, one, because it's part of that early archive that brings back a lot of personal kind of memories of just, you know, listening to her music, um, you know, but but also because the sound, you know, includes the accordion, for example, which for me growing up in South Texas, you know, the accordion is so key to a kind of Tex-Mex sound, you know. Um, and it also kind of infuses, you know, this more of a kind of contemporary beat, you know, of a of a polka, you know, uh, that is is it's just a very kind of staple um, sound that is sort of Selenaized, you know, in some ways. So it it, it speaks to a number of different, um, you know, sounds that come together, you know, really gestures to that very familiar, you know, um, accordion. Um, uh, central sound to the music and also just the, the polka. And for me, when I listen to that, you know, 
as, as many of us Tejanos always say, you know, um, growing up in Texas, it really, you know, what you imagine listening to that is this kind of counterclockwise circular movement that we do with all of our dancing that's really different. So we dance cumbias, we dance polkas, we dance, dance everything in a counterclockwise position huh. um, or rotation. And so that kind of brings that up for me too, as a personal. <laughs> that's anyway. a great, that's a great detail. <laughs> uh, Susie Exposito, I, I'm wondering, how you came to know Selena's music because I mean, how old were you? <laughs> I was five years old when Selena died. Mm. Um, I was a, uh, I mean, I, I say that like in past tense, I'm, I'm half Cuban, half Belizean, and I grew up in Miami, Florida. So I'm, I'm not the Hannah, um, but I still connected with her music a lot. And I think that, you know, I, I mostly learned of her, you know, after she passed, um, you know, I, I remember when she died and hearing her music everywhere. And granted, Selena was not really an artist that you would really hear in Miami. Um, you know, at the time it was all like Gloria Estefan, um, Celia Cruz, like the, the Cubans, you know, Miami is very Cuban. So um, hearing Selena was just like fabulous for me because she's such a, she, she was such an eclectic artist. Mm. Um, and I like that when I hear Selena, it's like, I don't just hear that like Tejana, uh, you know, sound. I hear, I hear Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation. I hear Donna Summer, um, you know, and, and many of the artists that uh, Maria and Deb previously talked about. Um, but yeah, I can really connect. I, I can really connect with that as like a, as someone who was who was born in the U.S. and like raised on a lot of English language music, um, you know, and her her kind of like struggling with her Spanish uh, throughout her life and constantly fighting to feel authentic. That's something that I definitely grappled with. And so as I got older, I really came to embrace Selena not not just as like a Mexican American icon, but as a U.S. Latina icon, and I think that's what makes her so accessible to people beyond the Mexican diaspora. Yeah, accessible beyond the Mexican diaspora, and also just, it's amazing her staying power, Susie Exposito. I mean, among young fans, people who were very young when she died like you, or born after her death, um, and mm -hmm. love her, and you've touched on sort of a lot of the reasons, but I'm wondering what else you attribute to just you know, her, her incredible ability to still inspire and, and be beloved by people 25 years later. <laughs> I, I made a joke in uh, a piece that I wrote in the Los Angeles Times um, that Selena is like the closest thing that U.S. Latinos have to a saint or like a Marvel superhero. <laughs> um, she's been canonized in our culture uh, for so long. Um, there have been actually 23 posthumous compilations and box sets and and soundtracks and things like that like she's still you know her her estate is still releasing music on her behalf and that keeps you know it, it sort of keeps the momentum going the netflix show is keeping the momentum going and you know it's like how how can we forget her we certainly can't i wouldn't <laughs> personally I, <laughs> um but you know it's she's she's been so present in pop culture um you know i mean i i took i, I was lazy in high school I, I took spanish classes in high school 
uh, because I knew that I would get a really good grade. And uh, yeah, here, we here I did the same. Thing. <laughs> Maria did yeah, the same. Totally. Thing. <laughs> I mean, no, no, I did need to. I did need to learn some grammar. And honestly, these classes were like extremely easy. Um, and so, you know, I was, I was in there. I was one of like maybe three Latinas in the class. <laughs> and uh, every year we watched Selena, and it was just. I think what really uh, impressed me was was because, like Maria, I came out of the the assimilation '90s. You know, um, I had been punished before for like speaking Spanish in class. Uh, you know, even even just like whispering to mm. a classmate or something who needed wow. some English help, and like that was really frustrating. And to see to be in a class full of you know American English speakers, like really enjoying the story of Selena because it's a fascinating story. It's like a legend, you know? Yeah. Um, and especially JLo's performance of Selena was so captivating. She got that, like, uh, you, you got the fiery side of Selena. And then you also got the Selena that really just wanted to make her family happy. Um, and I think like I can speak for a lot of Latinas when I say that a lot of us are constantly trying to do both at all times. Um, and so just seeing how much that captivated my classmates and, and just like, you know, um, non-Latinas at large, I, I think that her staying power is really in her story and in, you know, her personality, which really shines through in the music. Well, Catherine writes, as a gringo who grew up in Corpus Christi, I'm looking forward to Maria Garcia's podcast. Ms. Garcia mentioned that the 1990s were the age of assimilation. Indeed, sadly, I witnessed punitive assimilation at school in Corpus in the 70s. And we know it was a reality for decades before that. Viva las Tejanas. And Marina writes, about 10 years ago, I went through a Selena phase after watching the movie with Jennifer Lopez about Selena's life and family. I enjoy her crossover to Hano music. I even purchased from eBay an original copy of the People magazine special on Selena's passing. We're talking with listeners about the legacy of Tejanas singer Selena Quintanilla Perez with Maria Garcia, creator and host of the forthcoming podcast, Anything for Selena, Derpa Vargas, author of Dissonant Divas in Chicana Music, The Limits of La Onda, and she's also associate professor of Chicana Latina Feminism and U.S.-Mexico Borderlands Culture at Rutgers University. Also, Susie Exposito is with us, music reporter for the Los Angeles Times. And you, our listeners, if you want to join the conversation as well, 866-733-6786 is the number to call, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Uh, what are your questions and comments about Selena's impact and legacy? What does Selena mean to you? Do you have a favorite Selena song? Tell us what that is and why. Uh, Dr. Vargas, I, I wanted to put sort of a similar question to you in terms of what you think or what you attribute to the fact that uh, Selena has so much staying power that may not have been mentioned already, especially in your study of her and of her musical history. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I think Susie and, and Maria, again, uh, uh, mentioned this a bit, but just to kind of extend that, and that is, I think, um, that part of that staying power is that I think she spoke to 
like like multiple populations, you know, and multiple cultural histories. Um, so you have, you know, like what Susie mentioned about language and that kind of way in which people are drawn to, right? People who either grow up speaking um, a language other than English or who, you know, grow up in a Spanglish like environment or, you know, and, and so that kind of draws in, you know, uh, especially Spanish speaking populations who, who really deal with that kind of politics, right? Um, of, of speaking Spanish, you know, in the United States um, or having to learn English. And then I think she also, like I mentioned before, I think she really speaks to sonically in terms of music, you know, to this fusion between Mexican American or Chicano music and African American music that you really hear, you know, um, in that first song, right? I, I think Maria mentioned it was one of her favorites. And then also her aesthetic and style, you know, she had a huge um, queer, particularly queer and black um, following. And that was because of her stylistic sense and her aesthetics that I think are long lasting that I think, you know, drew in um, other segments of these populations. Um, and, and I think that has, yeah. has is, is really important, I think, for her staying power. Maria Garcia, do you want to say a little bit more about her style, <laughs> as, as Deborah Vargas is talking about? Yeah, I mean, it's one of oh, the most iconic things about her. I mean, we can't talk about Selena without talking about her style. Um, you know, first of all, the fit, right? The fact that she celebrated her body. She wore the tightest tights, um, you know, the embellished bras. Um, and it wasn't male gazy. It was it the way she wore it, the, the sort of the the her presence um the sort of self has had like a self-possessed celebration um yeah so i think that matters um yeah and uh the power bustier yeah <laughs> what did you say Susie exposito <laughs> sorry it's a power bustier <laughs> talk about that no there's something really there is something really powerful about uh Selena's fashion, you know, I mean, also this was like the late 80s, 90s, like she she had the shoulder pads going on and she had a lot of like fringe, it, she had a lot of uh, bedazzling happening there. Yeah. Um, and and it, she was, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go right One, ahead. No, I wanted to, I wanted to add something Well, you know what, Dr. That. Vargas, add that actually right after the break because we've got 10 <laughs> seconds or so just as we go into it and we'll have more on Selena. Stay with us. This is Forum. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Yeah. 
Welcome back to Forum. My Mina Kim. We're talking about the legacy of Tejano singer Selena with Maria Garcia, editor of Arts and Culture at WBUR and Boston senior editor of Arts and Culture. Dr. Deborah Vargas, associate professor of Chicana Latina feminism in U.S. Mexico borderlands culture at Rutgers University. Susie Exposito, music reporter at the Los Angeles Times. And you've just been listening to La Carcacha. This is uh, one of the favorites of our producer, Blanca Torres, a song about a woman whose boyfriend drives a clunker, a fun song with a lot of cumbia in there. And uh, you, our listeners, join us with what your favorite Selena song is and why, or what Selena means to you. 866-733-6786 is the number. 866-733-6786. Email us, forum at kqed.org, or get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. And Deborah Vargas, just before the break, you wanted to say something else about Selena's style. Please go right ahead. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, I think Selena often doesn't get credit as much as she as she um, should for, you know, how creative she was and how intentional she was in thinking about her aesthetics, her style, and, and that connection to music. I remember early on getting a tour from her sister Suzette of what is now the Q Studios, like, museum. Um, and I remember looking at this room that, that was kind of like a little bit like disheveled, sort of like having been taken apart and asked, well, what was, what, what, what was in that room? And was right next to the recording studio, right? And she says that was Selena's, like, design studio. This is where she would work on her outfits, you know? Um, and so it was right next door, you know, to where she made her music. Um, and, and she also reminded me of, of how Selena designed and literally made, you know, all of her outfits except for maybe like two. Mm. She would sew, she would design and sew like round the clock. And so most of the outfits that we can go back and really enjoy like on, you know, YouTube and, and watch her performance, those are all designed by her, you know? Um, and I think that's just a really, really um, credit to how much of a genius she was, you know, when it came to to um, her multiple creative styles. She also was just really quickly, one of these early artists that now, you know, we call branding, you know, where like an artist has this like multi like branding. Selena was was the first that really kind of created her, you know, Selena boutique, you know, along with her music. Um, we're used to that now, right? Every time a singer comes out, there's a perfume line or a style line. And so she was one of the early artists that really thought about her music in this kind of multi-dimensional way. Yeah. Well, let me go to some callers. Paula in San Francisco, join us. Hi, Paula. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I was thinking what really transcends is Selena, the artist. I live in the Mission, so I heard Selena basically walking around the Mission, and I immediately thought, what a great artist. It may, you know, mm. I listen to all musics of all genres, and I think it shows the power of art and how the fact that she was completely uncompromising, inspired by different genres, by cumbia, by Tex-Mex, putting it out there uh, and lifting everyone to really see the value and pride of a culture and different cultures in a society that has diminished that because nowhere in the world uh, do they tell you not to learn two languages or three if possible. The, now, today, if you're bilingual and you speak Spanish, it's an asset. So this was a very short-sighted uh, and negative, um, uh, you know, time in, in our history. 
I don't think this happens anymore. On the contrary, we see a lot of Americans wanting to teach their children Chinese and Spanish and make them bilingual. So things change. Yes. But the artist, the artist and, and the role of art in how it inspires, and, 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 and that's what I attribute to a true artist, a true great artist. If I may, well, like, yeah, I, thanks, Bob. I, I completely agree. I think that, um, and, and the devil's in the details, right? Like when we talk about her artistry, I mean, she was a masterful performer. If you want to talk about musicality, right? This idea that your body moves in such a way that it almost looks like the music is emanating from your body, that you can em that you can embody music in in a way that. Um, you know, really captures people. Uh, she she had this presence to her. I mean, anytime she walked into a room, she was so th that charismatic. Uh, and I think that a lot, we have to talk about, you know, what, how she emoted her songs, um, how she took from, you know, Mexican folk influence uh, and from the rural origins of Tejano, which was derided as the sort of like second country bumpkin cousin to like the dignified mariachi south of the border. And she took that, this, this art form that had been derided, that had been put down for generations, and she made something that the world loved. That is the power of art, to take something that, that people consider lowly and, and uh, bring people together with it. And with such a presence and with such strength, it's been interesting because, you know, for example, this Netflix series, one of the things that has been that has been pointed out about it and, and a criticism of it is the fact that they really don't show that side of her, Maria Garcia, at least not yet. Yeah, so I watched the first season um, and, uh, you know, the reason that people are still very much devoted to Selena 25 years later, the reason there's 10-year-old girls uh, who love Selena now um, is because on screen, even a quarter century later, her charisma still spills out. That's that's what a strong presence she was. Um, and she was fiery. She was spunky. Um, she was quick-witted. She was funny. She had this sort of uncontainable laugh. Uh, she was both, you know, joyous and bountiful in her joy while also being elegantly self-possessed and uh, incredibly aware of herself. And so when I was watching the series, I kept wanting to see that. And the thing is, Jennifer Lopez um, in 1997 did sort of bring us um, a, did, did embody that to a way, sort of her, her, the strength of her presence, her big spirited, ferocious personality. Um, Selena was not meek. And the Selena we get in the series um, is kind of quiet. And mm -hmm. meek, um, and and it, you know, women aren't erased from history by you know just expunging them completely. What happens is they are reinterpreted as support roles for the men around them, um, and you know, it's with the series. It's I think it's hard to make the argument that Selena's role is is does not wilt mm. in in the service of her songwriter brother and her manager father. Yeah, I mean, Susie Esposito, it's making me think about, 
if we need to examine the way that Selena is being remembered, not just in, in sort of like Netflix series or, or movies, but also generally that that needs to be examined. Yeah, I completely agree with Maria. I think that, um, you know, this this is, I think, a in, in light of the Netflix series, it is something that we should think critically about, you know, like her family owns the rights to her story. Um, and what are the limits of her story and how she is remembered when it's her family doing the remembering, you know? And, you know, I, I felt a little bit, or I, I felt very disappointed actually um, by the series in that, I mean, first off, I do, here, here are the good things that I think the series did. The series definitely uh, gave more uh, dimension to like what the Tejano music industry was like, what the music industry was like, you know, between Texas and Mexico and the divide that Selena and her siblings were, were coming up against because for them, they, they existed in both worlds. You know, there wasn't, it was, it was their own world really. And Selena really owned it, you know? Um, and so I think that we get a little bit of history there. And I, I think that was really important. It's also, I just love seeing, you know, behind the music kind of stories. I love seeing these, uh, incredible acts you know in their early stages you know when they're a little bit hapless you know they're they're not making very much money uh they're just kind of kicking around you know the, the trucks falling apart like i love stuff like that um but i think that selena was really just like cast aside you know mm. she plays a supporting part uh in comparison to her her dad and her brother and honestly i think that if <laughs> <laughs> it, it'd be like leaving my dad to like make a movie about me. I guarantee you if my dad made a movie about me, he would be the star of the show, you know, <laughs> because he, <laughs> because he's the patriarch. So I think it's important for us to, to, to look at mind. it critically. Yes. It, at, we watch at the end it. of the day, it's, it's fun. Like the, the series, it is fun to watch. Yes. I really, it yeah. is. It is. Well, and and if, yeah. if I can just say like, you know, it is true that Selena y los Dinos worked and was such an innovative, um, really vanguard band because of their synergy. I mean, AB at one point was one of the most prolific songwriters in Tejano, which was considered the fastest growing American Latino genre. Um, Su Suzette is one of the very few recognized like women pop drummers in pop history. Mm. Uh, and I, I oh. Uh, Maria, your, your connection is breaking up just a touch, but we'll get it stabilized. Let me try to bring in a call. Elizabeth and Morgan Hill join us. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Linda Kim. Good morning. What would you like to say? I would just like to say that um, um, I heard my mom listening to KQZ, and then you guys were talking about Selena, and um, she's very inspiring to me. And... I love to sing her songs because my family has taught me how to speak Spanish and I just follow along with the lyrics. So. <laughs> wow, Elizabeth, and how old are oh you? My God. 
I'm nine years old. Nine years old. Well, thanks so much for calling in. I really appreciate that, Elizabeth. Oh, thank you. And let me go to Gabrielle in San Jose. If I could squeeze you in, Gabrielle, what would you like to say? Hi. No, I just wanted to say that I think Selena means so much, especially to us next generation kids. Um, I'm second generation Mexican-American and someone who grew up learning Spanish as a second language and definitely struggling with it. But um, there wasn't like a lot of Latina artists that I felt I could relate to in terms of identity and background and that's where I started realizing with Selena how important it was, how important representation was, especially at that time, and for next generation kids. Um, you know, because I saw a lot of next generation kids growing up and maybe feeling a disconnect from their culture. And I think that's where Selena helped bring a lot back a lot of pride in Mexican mm. culture or Latino culture. And we saw her, you know, me and my friends growing up, we saw her just as big as Britney and we saw her just as big as Christina Aguilera and stuff. And so I think she has. She's had such a monumental impact on so many communities and so many people. Gabrielle, thanks. We're talking about the legacy of Tahana singer Selena with Maria Garcia, Deborah Vargas, Susie Exposito. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. You know, Deborah Vargas, I do want to ask you why it seems right now that there hasn't been sort of another Selena. And I know that's a really bad way to put it because I don't want anyone to feel like they have to be, but it just feels like it's in it's rare that you're seeing the kind of the kind of commercial sort of outsized influence of a, a latina artist right now do you have any thoughts on that yeah i mean i think it's 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 a, a great question and i think you know part of it is um you know she, she was just so extraordinary you know and i think her her musical sound was so unique all the things that we've sort of talked about you know how her audience was able to connect with her um, through her, you know, working class aesthetic, through her story, right, through the pleasure of engaging her music, all of that. Um, but, you know, also, I think racial politics matters and gender matters, right? So, you know, Maria mentioned earlier, you know, she was, she was a brown kid, you know, who, who grew up in, in Texas. And I think in terms of, you know, if you think of the broader media arena where so often Latina femininity, you know, Mexican-American femininity is represented through, you know, very light skin features, um, light hair, thinness, right? All of these qualities that are kind of at the top of the, the hierarchy in terms of um, femininity, you don't often get representations like Selena, you know, who was darker, who was, um, you know, darker hair, who was fuller bodied. And I think that really, really mattered. And I think so when we talk about another Selena, there has not yet been someone who so powerfully, I think, um, was able to connect to folks who could, you know, in a number of ways, see themselves um, in her. But I also want to add that, you know, Maybe there have not been, there's not yet been another Selena after, but I do want to encourage the audience to look at the, the Selenas who came before Selena. You know, there's a really rich history of Mexican-American singers, you know, like I mentioned before, Eva Garza, um, talk about spunkiness, Cello Silva. You know, these are all artists that one can just Google and listen to Laura Canales, Shelly Lares. You know, you had a big, you know, um, recording mm -hmm. uh uh, moment in the mid 20th century of like duets and cousins and sisters who would sing. So anyway, just quickly, there there have been a lot of other artists that came before Selena. So I'm hoping also that this attention to Selena 
motivates people to listen to the the singers that came before her. That's a great point. And Susie Exposito, quickly, people to listen to now, too, that we may not be paying attention to because of the way the industry operates. Yeah, I... I, I love everything that Deb said. I also want to encourage people to invest in this generation of talent. There are so many talented Latinas out there right now making really interesting music. There is uh, this Colombian Canadian artist, Lido Pimienta. She is nominated for a Grammy this year. There's also Caliuchis. She uh, was born in Virginia, but her family is Colombian. Um, she's also up for a Grammy in the dance category this year. Um, there are, there are so many artists. Take a um, moment, right? Take a yeah, moment. Um, no, take a moment to sink in. But really, I mean, you can, you can think of, uh, you know, there, there are so many Latinas doing interesting things, not just in Latin music, but in, you know, in Anglophone music as well. Yeah. And a lot of them are mixing it up, you know, in the same way that we praise Selena for mixing it up. There are women doing incredible things in their respective genres and between genres, because you know what? That's how we live. Latinas live, especially in the U.S., Latinas live between genres. So everybody, listen up. Do yourself a favor. Go on YouTube, check a Spotify playlist, a title playlist, whatever you use. And well, this is this listener writes, Selena was a big part of my childhood and adolescence, and I'm now pushing her music on my young daughters. I love hearing them sing her songs and dance to her videos. My four-year-old calls her the Mexican princess. Well, Susie Exposito of the Los Angeles Times, Deborah Vargas of Rutgers University, Maria Garcia of WBUR, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing your insights about her impact. And thanks to our listeners for their questions and comments. I'm sorry we couldn't get to more. We leave you now with Amor Prohibido. We're talking about Selena. You've been listening to Forum. Blanca Torres produced today's segment. Thank you all. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.